Let me begin this morning with a question or two. Um, Your ultimate life goal, is it about holiness or happiness? Or, Or like as you think about like, is your life dead set on eternity or about things in this fallen world? Or is your life, is it all about serving God and serving his kingdom or is it about getting what you want? Now, time out, because you're in church and I'm a pastor. You're going to give me the Sunday school answer, right? You're going to spit that thing out, right? So here's the test. Your nice, canned Sunday school answer. How does that impact singlehood or marriage? Would you be willing to stay single for the kingdom? (laughs) What? Uh, if you marry, do, does your answer impact who you marry? Uh, or, or if you're in a hard marriage, will you stick it out because of the kingdom? See, are these kingdom decisions or simply matters of the heart? Because we've developed a little bit of a false dichotomy just by dabbling in Christian religion. We think that romance is a matter of the heart, but Christianity is a matter of the soul. And these don't kind of bump up against each other too much. But when you get into discipleship to Jesus, what you find is that the kingdom is at the heart of it all. And therefore, the kingdom steers matters of the heart. See that? All right, that's a lot about what chapter 7 has to do with. So as we go through 1 Corinthians, we come today, we're going to be in covering most of chapter 7. It is a lot of scripture. I'm just going to back up the truck and dump it all out there, so you're going to have to stick with me on this, but we'll then sort back through it, all right? We're in 1 Corinthians 7, verse 7, and it says this. Now, as a concession, not a command. Remember last week? Remember that? Okay. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as I myself am, But each has his own gift from God, one of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. But if they cannot exercise self-control, they should marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. But if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband. And the husband should not divorce his wife. Oh, you think we're done? (laughs) That's cute. Verse 25. Now concerning the betrothed, I have no command from the Lord, but I give my judgment as one who by the Lord's mercy is trustworthy. I think that in view of the present distress, it is good for a person to remain as he is. Are you bound to a wife? Do not seek to be free. Are you free from a wife? Do not seek a wife. But if you do marry, you have not sinned. And if a betrothed woman marries, she has not sinned. Yet those who marry will have worldly troubles, and I would spare you that. (laughs) That's kind of funny. Um, We're not done. Picking up in verse 32, I want you to be free from anxieties. Now let me let you know something. That word there is not like anxiety, go to a therapist. That is like having concern, having worry about something, okay? I want you to be free from anxieties. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife. And his interests are divided. 
And the unmarried or betrothed woman is anxious about the things of the Lord, how to be holy in body and spirit. But the married woman is anxious about worldly things, how to please her husband. I say this for your own benefit, not to lay any restraint upon you, but to promote good order and to secure your undivided devotion to the Lord. If anyone thinks that he is not behaving properly toward his betrothed, if his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. But whoever is firmly established in his heart, being under no necessity, but having his desire under control and has determined this in his heart to keep her as his betrothed, he will do well. So then, let me give you so then. So then, he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. A wife is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to be married to whom she wishes only in the Lord. Yet in my judgment, she is happier if she remains as she is, and I think that I too have the Spirit of God. Yeah, you chuckle, because that is a little divine sarcasm right there. Uh, that's, that's beautiful. Now, uh, I told you it'd be a lot of scripture. If you're sitting there going, wow, that was a lot of scripture. Shut up, you're in church. What'd you expect? Like, that's what we do. Remember last week, that's a word of God, and we love it. We love it. Uh, so what I want to do first is remind you of some of the context to 1 Corinthians. If you remember when we launched into this journey, I just gave a setup sermon and I told you about Corinth. Ancient Corinth was a sin, sex, saturated society. I mean, it was just dripping with sexual immorality and prostitution. So much so that around the Roman Empire, a prostitute became known as a Corinthian girl. Okay, that says something about their city, right? Very sexually immoral. Now, in light of that, the church in Corinth often took two very wrong, both are wrong, very wrong approaches. On the one hand, they just jumped in with the immorality of the culture around them, hashtag dumpster fire. That's been a lot of our letter. But another wrong, equally as wrong, just in an opposite direction, another wrong response the church had was to swing the pendulum right through middle to the other extreme and say, sex is evil. Sex is evil. And you will be a much more holy person if you just avoid it at all costs. So what seems to happen, it seems that in the church in Corinth, there developed a pro-celibacy contingent in the, in the congregation there. A, don't get married. B, if you are married, don't have sex. No, no. All right? And then C, in fact, if you are married, you can show your, de- your devotion to God by getting divorced. Does that strike your ears as funny? Yeah, Paul's like, whoa, 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 time out. No, no, no. And so what he would say is, A, sex is a good reason to get married. B, if you're married, you ought to be having plenty of sex. You love those verses, you wrote them down. I know, right? So this is a good one. And then, and then C, he would say, listen, getting divorced is not a display of devotion to God. It's a display of breaking a covenant before God. But 
Did you notice Paul would absolutely agree with them on the single part? Yep, better to stay single. Not because sex is evil, but because of a single kingdom focus. We'll come back to that in just a bit. What I want you to catch is the context. There's this pro-celibacy culture that he's speaking into there. Now, next thing I want you to catch is this. Uh, these, a lot of this was not commands, but divine encouragement. Okay? So here are three verses throughout that big chunk of scripture I read. I'll pull them out for you. Verse 28 says, But if you do marry, you have not sinned. Okay? <laughs> Some of you would be like, You haven't met my spouse. Seems like I messed up. Okay, no, that's not, that's not right. That's not right. Verse 36 there in the middle, If his passions are strong and it has to be, let him do as he wishes. Let them marry. It is no sin. Also, verse 38, so then he who marries his betrothed does well, and he who refrains from marriage will do even better. The point is there is freedom here. There, this isn't commands. This is encouragement. Why is there freedom between these two options? All right, next point. Because both singlehood and marriage are good gifts from a good God. Here's the first chunk I read, and it's kind of the main part for us today. If you look at the beginning there in verse 7, it says, but each has his own gift from God. All right, what's a gift? A gift is something good that somebody wants you to have, so they give it to you. Just a couple days ago, my wife surprised me with a gift. She came home. She was at Mr. Bulky's, brought me home a whole bag of black jelly beans. Don't judge. Stop it. It's my gift. It's not your gift. It's not meant for you. All right? I love black licorice. I do. I'll tell you what. It is a good gift. Let me tell you why. Uh, parents, I'm going to out you right now. You don't want your, parents, your kids to hear what I'm about to tell them, right? You know, parents, that you have your stash of candy that you hide from your kids. Now, you don't have to admit that right now. Here's the great thing about black jelly beans. I lay them on the counter. Nobody touches them. It's all mine, or mine. I don't have to hide my stash, right? It's all good. So here's the thing. Married or single, they are, Paul says, they are both gifts from a good God, which means the gift that you have right now, your good God gave it to you, and he wants you to have it. They both have strengths and weaknesses. There are trade-offs. Some of you don't like black jelly beans. That's fine. It's not your gift. It's mine. Right? So there's trade-offs, and that's okay. That's okay. So how do you know if you have the gift of marriage? It's really simple. Are you married? If you're married, then God has given you that gift because he loves you. It's a good gift. He wants you to have it. How do you know if you have the gift of singlehood? Are you single? If so, then that's the good gift that God has given you right now. Now, down the road, he might give you... God's not limited to giving you just one gift in a lifetime, right? Down the road, you might get married, and then you'll have that gift. Well, how do you know if you're supposed to be single your whole life? It's really easy. If you die, have you never been married? Then you'll know. <laughs> that's how you know, right? That's how you know. See, it's a command, not a, not, excuse me, it's not a command. It is a choice. It is a gift from a good God. He, it's what he wants you to have in that season. So we have the gift of singlehood and the gift of marriage. And I want to talk about both of these in turn. 
let's, we'll probably spend a little bit more time talking about singlehood. So let's start there. Now, single is our word. If you look in verse 8, Paul talks to the unmarried and to the widows. Now, understand this about the unmarried. So back in their time, they had arranged marriages. From a very young age, you would have a coming arranged marriage. Okay? So that, that would be where the word betrothed comes in. You are betrothed and will later then marry. So if you never get married, you stay betrothed. So the betrothed, those are the never been married people. Okay? Uh, then, in, uh, and he talks about that in 25 to 28, 35, excuse me, 36 to 38. Then in verse 39, he gets into talking about widows. That's in there. But the, his advice in both cases is the same. And so we'll just lump them together under our term, single. Here's what I want you to hear. Modern American Christianity has an idol. We have I, made an idol out of marriage and the family. Instead of letting it be about Jesus and his kingdom and eternity and the gospel, it's about me and me having a perfect family and dang it, it's God's job to give that to me. And that's why many people go Christian uh, because they're trying, we're trying to leverage our life, whether single or married, or we're trying to leverage our life not to serve Jesus and his kingdom. And so we're trying to leverage God to serve my family. And that's different. And it is idolatry. You'll hear people say stuff like, well, I will do anything for my kids. My kids will always come first. Hey, thanks for boldly admitting your idolatry. I know for some of you that's going to sting a little bit, but I'm trying to thin the parking lot because Easter's coming. (laughs) So, So that's my best shot right there. But I also want you to understand something very clearly. My job as your pastor is not to leave you comfortable in your idolatry. That's not my job. Uh, you, you take kids out of that. What, what, I will do anything for my kids. My kids will always come first. You take kids out, you put anything else in those sentences. I will do anything for my career. My career will always come first. We'd say idolatry. My car, my house, my money, my looks. You put anything in there, it's idolatry. Same with family. Same with family. See, what's going on is we rightly have condemned the world for its hedonism and its sinfulness, but we've replaced it not with Jesus and the gospel and eternity. We have replaced it with the Christian nuclear family. And so instead of focus on Jesus, it's focus on the family. You see that? Now, focus on the family is a great ministry. Absolutely. But it cropped up and it became the central voice, the clearinghouse for all things Christian in America. Or family life. Another great ministry. My marriage has benefited from that one a lot. Great ministry. But, but what's happened is we have married Christianity to the nuclear family such that we have entered them into an unbreakable covenant. So here's the result of that for our single folks. If God exists to give me a good family, what if I'm single? Well, then you're lesser. You're broken. You're deficient. You're a second-class Christian. And if singlehood is a gift, it feels like a white elephant gift. Right? And today, church can be very, very awkward for the single folks among us. 
And you got to understand the breadth of that problem. Among adults, singlehood is 45%, the demographic, 45%, and it's the growing one. Which means pretty soon we're talking about half of the culture we're supposed to reach with the gospel. We're saying to them, church isn't for you. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. And it is in such contrast to our passage today. Paul didn't give a command because they're both good gifts, but he certainly encouraged one of them over the other, and it's not marriage. Say, heresy! He's a witch! Burn him! How do you know he's a witch? Well, he turned me into a newt. No, that's Monty Python. (laughs) I'm going to step away from that. But here's a question. Was Jesus deficient? Was Jesus a second-class Christian? Should Jesus feel welcome at church? You understand Jesus was single. No spouse, no kids. The only perfect person to ever walk the planet was single. Which is how he pulled it off. (laughs) Okay, maybe it was the God in the flesh thing. Okay, but I'm pretty sure not being married helped with the sinless part. Anyway, but you're not Jesus. So why should you consider staying single? Notice what Paul doesn't say. He doesn't say to be a player. He doesn't say to play around and have more fun. He doesn't say uh, to stay single for your career. He doesn't say to, uh, to stay single because you're bitter. Well, I swear off men. <laughs> it's not what he said. He didn't say to stay single because your parents had a crappy marriage that denies the power of the gospel in your life. So what does he say? He says, for a single kingdom focus. It's a play on words. It's a single kingdom focus. And look in the verses there. Verse 32 and following. The unmarried man is anxious about the things of the Lord and how to please him, please the Lord. But the married man is anxious about worldly things, how to please his wife, and his interests are divided. We have a way of saying that, don't we? Happy wife, happy life. Ladies, I know it goes the other way too, but it just doesn't rhyme. So it's not as fun, right? There it is. Paul is being honest. Marriage is a lot of work. It takes energy and time and focus. And yet there's such a rush. There's such a pressure to get married. And so he's warning, be careful what you ask for. You just might get it. Like marriage is tough, amen? If you amen to Ellie, you're going to have a cold ride home. (laughs) Good luck with that. Good luck with that. But it is, it's tough. And, And so listen, single marriage is not the answer Jesus is. And if you aren't fulfilled in Christ now as a single person, marriage won't fix that. You've got to learn, learn to be content in Jesus now, to be settled in him now. If not, what will happen is you'll enter marriage looking for marriage to be your Jesus. It's not designed for that. And therefore, you're going to be looking to take instead of give. And you're, may God help you, you're set up for failure. At best, at best you'll have a good marriage and even then your, your focus is divided and you don't have a single kingdom focus. There's simply no way for a married person to match the kingdom output of a devoted single person. 
the ability to serve and volunteer and give and reach out and go on missions. You know why? There's tons of single missionaries for a reason. Now, Paul, Paul would know. So this is an interesting thing about Paul. We know from the passage Paul's single, right? But most scholars would tell us, did you know, he was likely married previously. Uh, see, listen, single folks, I know you go home, Thanksgiving feast at the family gathering is hard for you, right? When are you getting married? I am so sorry. I'm sorry. Uh, that's nothing compared to what they would experience back in Paul's day. In the Jewish culture, they married young and everybody married. There was such pressure. It was like what you experience on steroids. There are actually religious writings that says that if a man is not married by 20 years old, it is a shame to him and his family. Publicly stated in religious writings, like, okay, by 20 it's crazy. Now remember, Paul is a Jew of Jews. He's a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was such a leader in Jerusalem that they tapped him to go after the Christians until, at least until Paul became a Christian. So he was a leader. There's no way he would have that status if he were unmarried. So we don't know it for sure, but we, we're pretty certain that Paul was probably married. Uh, it's likely either his wife died, so he's a widower, or that she left him because he became a Christian. In either case, Paul is free to remarry, and yet he doesn't. Poor Paul. Hey, do you read the scriptures and think Paul had a poor life? My goodness, what an adventure. What a kingdom adventure. What a great life. And talk about offspring. Paul has spiritual offspring around the globe, including me. What a great, great life. So let me make this real. Uh, I, um, I often pray for my kids' future spouses, though I don't, haven't met them. Maybe. I don't know. We'll see how Connor pans out. But um, <laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, but I pray for my kids' future spouses. And that makes me seem really like spiritual, right? But, but here's the thing. If they marry, I want it to go well, and I want to have grandkids, right? So I'm praying for them. But, but you notice something? I'm making an assumption, aren't I? What if God has something better for my kids? What if he has singlehood for them? According to the word, that's better. That's better, right? So single folks, hear me on this. Number one, I want you to know you belong here. You are not broken. You're not deficient. You don't need fixed. You are not lesser. You're not second class. This is your church just as much as the married folks. And I want to ask you to join us in the life of the church. So in our community group, we have, yep, a lot of marrieds, but we have a single woman in there. She's actually, she actually fostered and then adopted, so she's a, a single mom. And our group adores her. We love her. We are so much richer as a group because she's in it. And if somebody were to ever go at Carrie, they would find a pack of wolves surrounding her, ready to throw down. We love her. We love her. We are one church family. Join with us, please. Uh, second thing, you singles, I want you to hear is I want you to see your singlehood is a good gift from your good father. Now, I understand some of you don't want that gift. You want the other gift. But as long as you remain single, know that God is giving you a gift and I want you to unwrap it and enjoy it because there are perks to it. Enjoy it. And of course, one of the perks is a single kingdom focus. So... Leverage it. 
Don't be on the top half of this thing. Be on the bottom half of this thing. Leverage your gift of singlehood to pour into the kingdom. That's the exhortation from the word of God. So that's the gift of singlehood. Now we'll talk about marriage. It's not that marriage is bad. Paul says they are both good gifts from a good father. In fact, marriage is the typical pattern of humanity since Adam and Eve on throughout history. Good thing, because that's how we all got here, right? Marriage is a good thing. And some of the best passages about marriage in the word of God came from the hand of, of the apostle Paul. He's not down on marriage. So what you see, if you look in verses 9 and in verse 36, he says, listen, if you're single, but you're going to burn with passion, like you can't control your sexual urges, he says, get married. Sex is good. In context, remember Pastor Jared and fire, right? In context, it's a good thing. So he says, listen, if you can't keep it in a, uh, you're about to go out of context, then get in the context. Like you can't control yourself, get hitched, which is how God tricks us into marriage right? Like, listen, listen, this is not how God advertises marriage to us, right? Uh, you're going to fight a lot about stupid stuff. Uh, and it won't be nonstop sex like bunnies. Uh, no, instead it'll be a lot more about laundry and dishes. Uh, and, and then fighting about money and who's going to pick up the kids. Uh, oh, speaking of which, uh, so you're going to uh, basically have a hard time because you have two sinners living intimately, but, but eventually you'll have kids, so then there'll be more sinners living intimately. Uh, and, and by the way, you're going to have to lay down your rights, and you're going to have to forgive a lot, and it's for life. I don't think I want that. That doesn't sound good, so that's not how it goes down. Here's how it went down for me. Dang, Shannon Sebring is hot. And I have a lot of fun with her. And she loves Jesus. And I'm burning with passion. Let's get married. Because like, that's how it goes down. I think it is a divine bait and switch scheme that he's pulled, off, he's pulled it off on us and he's really good at it, right? But here's, here's what I'm saying. If marriage and kids, if that's your idol, you're going to be sorely disappointed. Uh, you'll be very disappointed. Don't put your hope there. Now, uh, it's not that I, <laughs> I'm not down on my marriage. Uh, Shannon and I are, uh, within two months, we will celebrate 30 years. 30 years of marriage coming up. Woohoo! 20 great years. Um, I pull that joke out every May 16th, and she hates it every May 16th. Uh, but there it is. I do love my wife. I love being married. I love our marriage. Uh, we were married uh, young. We were 21 years old uh, when we got hitched. We were smitten. I'll tell you what, you, you look at our wedding photos, though. Shannon's got her big puff sleeves on, okay? We got married in 1992, people. Um, and big puff sleeves. And you look at those, we look like babies. I mean, we look like we're 12 years old. We went on a cruise for our honeymoon. And I know people were like, where are your parents? It's like, we're newlyweds, all right? You from West Virginia? No, I should. But, but <clears throat> okay, so um, listen, uh, people during that phase told us, you just wait. You're smitten now, the honeymoon will wear off, and you'll see what it's like. We always hate it. You know, don't tell people that, right? We always hated hearing that. We were always like, 
because your marriage is lame doesn't mean ours will be. Our marriage, we're going to beat the system. No, they were right. Marriage is hard. Uh, marriage is absolutely hard. But I'll tell you one thing that has kept Shan and I together tightly for so many years. It is a united kingdom focus. It's a kingdom focus. If you marry, yes, your quantity of time to give to the kingdom will probably go down. But the quality of time to give the kingdom can likely go up. But don't lie to yourself and others. Like, what's your true motive? Like, does God and his kingdom weigh in on who you marry and when you marry, if you marry, how you run your marriage? Like, does, does that weigh in? I want the kingdom to impact your marriage. Now, uh, and I want your marriage to impact the kingdom. But having said that, let me give a caveat. Because I know some of you are married to unbelievers. And you're hearing that, and that's really hard. Because you'd love your marriage to serve the kingdom, and that's just not an option. Instead, what you have to do is serve God by ministering to your spouse. But just know this, that's what next week's about. We're coming to that passage next week, okay? So hold on for that. Hold on for that. For now, know this. Redemption Chapel is blessed by my being married. 100%. Shannon, a lot of you don't know this, Shannon usually helps me with sermon research. And I usually preach my sermon first to Shannon. Uh, and in that moment, what she's doing is helping me trim it down. If you are glad that you, that you don't hear 60-minute sermons from me, thanks, Shannon, okay? Because she does that, right? We're a team. Now, sure, she runs our women's ministry, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm saying I'm a better person. I'm a better pastor because of our marriage. We talk about theology a lot. We talk about ministry philosophy. We serve Jesus together. And she's a protection for me because I grew up steeped in sexual immorality. And, and I am a weak man. We'll edit that out. But anyway, uh, and so she, I'm a better man. So if you marry, I want you to choose a good kingdom partnership. Hollywood won't tell you to do that, okay? Because of this right here. Dabbling in Christian religion, they're saying romance and Christianity, they don't go together. They're separate issues. No, the kingdom is at the heart of the matter. And so the kingdom steers the matters of the heart. Choose a good kingdom partner. Married folks also tell you this, like if you're thinking, well, wait a minute, I would love to serve the kingdom with my spouse, but that's just not an issue right now for us because we hate each other. Like if you think, uh, go talk to your spouse, how is our marriage going to serve the kingdom? And you're like, we can't have that conversation. Then you have a different conversation. I want you to go on our website, go under our counseling, get some help. The way you're going to serve the kingdom with your marriage is get help for your marriage. Get some good counseling, all right? So that's marriage. Now, I need to deal with another issue, really, because Paul deals with it. Uh, the next thing he, he kind of goes into is he say, look, he's saying both are gifts, but one of the reasons to get married is for sex. <laughs> okay. And he goes, ah, uh, but I ought to give him a caution. And he does. So if you look at the end here, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 7 to 11, down at the end is 10 and 11. And what he's basically saying is, look, don't just jump into marriage to jump into the sack. Because you end up with more than just sex. You end up with a covenant before God. Marriage is for life, not just for sex. And that is a, that's not an encouragement. That's a command from the Lord. So we got to take it seriously. 
So he's saying, yes, be cautious in choosing a good godly spouse. Don't settle. Once you make that covenant, you're on the hook. Yeah, you will have a split focus uh, at best, but, but you need to serve your spouse. That's Bible. You gotta, that's now part of your calling. So choose well. Certainly, if you're looking at those verses, you notice it talks about divorce. Uh, there are two biblical allowances for divorce. I don't have time to go into that this morning. It's likely that Pastor Jared will be unpacking that a little bit more next week. I'll at least say this. Most Christian divorces are unbiblical. And and our response to that should be humility and repentance and submission to the word of God. Not adapting to the word of God, not defensiveness, not justification. There's grace, but grace always follows on the heels of repentance. And so we should be repentant for that. Well, of course, it depends on this right here. If you're on the top or bottom. Because, listen, if if you're saying, listen, it's all about me and my happiness, what I want, and I want out of this marriage, you're out. But if the kingdom is at the heart of it, then the kingdom sears issues of the heart. And I'll tell you what, praise God, what Jesus has done for us. Because Jesus entered into a covenant with his bride, the church. That's us. And I'll tell you what, in a spiritual sense, we're all adulterers. We cheat on him all the time. And he has never left us. And I praise God he keeps his covenant with us. Well, that was heavy. So, um, <clears throat> let me do some so. What do we do? That's a lot of scripture. What do we do with all that? Okay, here's some things. Number one, single or married, whichever gift God has given you right now, I want you to embrace your gift. Realize both are gifts from God. There are trade-offs. Both have advantages and disadvantages. We always live with the grass is greener. I know this from shaving, right? Like as you're a little boy growing up, like I can't wait till I shave. I can't wait till that guy's starting to shave. I don't have to shave. I want to shave. I want to shave. Now I shave and I hate it, right? Yeah, I get the nice beard, but I'll tell you what, the hair grows up to my eyeballs, it's ridiculous. I see guys with like unshaven faces, like they don't have to shave. I, I envy those guys and they envy me. The grass is always greener. And we do that with the gifts of singlehood and marriage. Single folks have a great gift and yet they're envying married folks. They want that gift. And you know what married people say? <laughs> Nothing except to their counselors, their therapists. uh, But listen, the grass is always greener. What I want you to do is embrace the good gift that your good father has given you in this season. Unwrap it, enjoy it. There are perks to it. How do you do that? Well, big key is number two, be fulfilled in Christ. Think of all the romantic lines like, you complete me. You fulfill me. You make me feel worthy. You make me feel desirable. You define me. You had me at hello. Uh, That spot is meant for Jesus in your life. That's the God spot right there. Like, listen, if you don't learn to be just fulfilled in Christ, then whether you're single or married does not matter. You will be screwed up. And you will never embrace your gift. Single or married, If you're looking for a spouse to fulfill you, you'll be in bad shape. But if you learn to be fulfilled and content in Christ, you will rock your gift, no matter which one it is. 
And one of the ways I want you to rock your gift is this third and last thing. Leverage your gift for the kingdom of God. Leverage your gift for the kingdom. So instead of saying, how can I use God to bless my family? I want you to say, how can I use my singlehood? How can I use my marriage to bless the kingdom of God? So I thought God was there to give me a good spouse. No, no, that was never the deal. He's, you understand, God has a much, much bigger romantic story than your little romantic life. It's a cosmic story that stretches throughout millennia. It's creation and fall, the Messiah, crucifixion, resurrection, the church, the coming consummation, the second coming of Christ, when he comes back, wraps it all up, takes his children home. And there we gather uh, people from every tribe, tongue, and nation, all kinds of colors, together worshiping Jesus giving him glory and praise. It's about eternity. It's about his kingdom. It's about his gospel. Do the hokey pokey. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. For God so loved the world. That's the romance story. Then, then he gives you, in light of that, he gives you a gift, singlehood or marriage. And the question is, how does your story serve and fit into his story? So as servants, as disciples of him, of his kingdom, I want you to be asking the question, how does my singlehood serve the kingdom of God? How does my marriage serve the kingdom of God? Say, nah, I just want God to give me an awesome spouse. Feel that shift? It's not subtle. <laughs> but we've just become too, too used to, too accustomed to the top end of this one. And so we're used to it. I want you to seek first the kingdom of God, then all these things will be added unto you. Give lordship to Jesus and let his kingdom steer the issues of the heart. So this week, embrace your gift, be fulfilled in Christ, and then ask yourself, how can I leverage my gift to serve the kingdom? And for that, I want to pray. Bow your heads with me. Father, if we're honest, we, uh, man, we do the grass is greener thing. Lord, I just want you, I'm asking you, would you lead your children in this room? You as a good father have given gifts, different gifts to different people. Would you lead us to embrace you and therefore embrace those gifts? To trust you, to unwrap those gifts, unpack them, enjoy them. To be fulfilled in your son, Jesus Christ, so that we're, we're not pining as a single person we're fulfilled we're not even putting too much pressure on our marriage we're fulfilled in you and then that we would use our status to serve your kingdom take us there lord please we pray in christ's name amen